Well, hello. Good to see everybody this morning. As Peyton mentioned, we have started a brand new series of lessons, and it's entitled Testimony. And the reason is because it's a very biblical word. It is a word that it means to um, a word that means to make a declaration on the basis of personal knowledge. And normally when this word is being used, especially in the New Testament, it's being used to the apostles, including Paul, uh, when he speaks about Jesus, when they speak about news. And what we find out is that this testimony, this declaration that we make about how Jesus has changed our lives and who Jesus is and to the world, that it has an impact on people who don't know Jesus. It has an impact on the church. We get encouraged when we hear these, these wonderful stories. It was on July the 4th that a man went on Facebook. He went on a Facebook Live and he started giving his testimony about his conversion to Christianity. It's not necessarily unusual for someone to do something like that. Except that this guy was the priest and co-founder of the South African Satanic Church. His name is Rion Swigler. Rion Swigler. I had a lot of questions, as you probably do as well. You know, it's like, what is Satanism? What does it mean? How do you get into something like that? And how does someone just suddenly flip from from being a co-founder, a priest of a satanic church, and all of a sudden come to Christianity? And, and, and what's my role in all of this? And so I started really doing some research, and one of the things I found is there's a big difference between devil worship and the satanic church. In fact, people in the satanic church, they do not believe in Satan. You're like, okay, that's weird. But Satan is more of a symbol it's a symbol of the struggle of, of the tyranny of God or religious tyranny. Uh, they, they don't offer up sacrifices, but they do study out of the, the satanic Bible. Some of you, if you were like I was growing up in the 80s, you heard about all this stuff. And Anton LaVey, he wrote this, this the, you know, satanic Bible back in 1969. And, and the book is basically about this, that you are your own God, that you determine your own truth. And we hear that and it's like, yeah, well, I see now why it's called the Satanic Church, because that's right out of Satan's playbook, isn't it? It's the way he started the whole thing. And yet we see that it's a very arrogant, self-centered worldview. It's one that's independent of God. It is a religion that is diametrically opposed to, uh, to Christianity. Rion had been, a Christ, had been in Christian circles for 20 years before he determined that he was an atheist. That statement in and of itself bothered me. And I don't really know the answer to that. What, what if there's something there more to it? But... He hung out with Christians for two decades, and he decided there's no God. But I do think it's, it's deeper than that. 
In fact, even Rion will tell you that the one thing he said that he had in common with all the Satanists that he met is that they were broken. What do we do with things that are broken? We typically throw them away, don't we? We discard them. We reject them. We look at it as useless. And we don't just do that with broken glass or a broken plate. We do that with people, don't we? These are the very people who feel helpless, hopeless, inadequate, unworthy of love. They may have been crushed by something that happened in their childhood. Maybe it's, you know, a lifetime of failure. Maybe they lost someone that was very important to them. Maybe it is rejection that they have felt at some point. And, but I guarantee we have people that are in this assembly right now that either have or do feel broken. Brokenness is not something you just find in the church of Satan, is it? Brokenness is something that you find in a fallen world, and that's exactly where we live. There is no, there is no such, uh, so much disappointment and fear and hatred and insecurity and discrimination and violence in our world, and none of us escapes it. None of us escapes the blows of this life. We hear the stories. We know the people who are broken in this world, don't we? And to humans sometimes, broken things are useless, but God sees them differently. In fact, I love a couple of Psalms. I know y'all surprised by that. The Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 147 says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. And we all in here, we're just like, ah. It's like, it's great. Because we, most of us in here, we know Jesus. We, we, we know him. We, we, under, we, we trust him. But there is a whole world out here, out in our community, that they do not know God. They do not know that they can trust him. Rion was doing an interview about Satanism uh, on the Cape Town radio show. And while he was on that radio show, he said he did not believe in Jesus. He even said he did not even believe that Jesus existed. And right after the, that show, there was someone from, the, from that radio station came up and just gave him this big hug. And this is what he said about it. He said, she held me in a way that I've never been loved. That's all. She didn't say anything other than, it's nice to finally meet you in person. He didn't know until a week later, he was on this, uh, it's called WhatsApp. Those of you who are younger know what it is. I had to look it up. It's some kind of Facebook messaging and video app. And he saw her status, and on there it said she was a Christian, and he was floored. In fact, he said, I've never had a Christian do that. I've never experienced a Christian show... Uh, experience a Christian show that much love and acceptance unconditionally after I said the things that I said she did that and that stayed with me came across this this little saying some of you probably have heard it before 
by Ann Hood. It says, I have learned that there is more power in a good strong hug than a thousand meaningful words. Turns out science kind of backs that up. When you hug somebody, it releases this, this hormone known as uh, oxytocin. And it, it creates these feelings of calm and closeness and trust. It promotes feelings of love, bonding, and well-being. They say a hug helps to heal a, a feelings of anger and loneliness. I want to go back to something that, that Rion had said. He said, I met thousands of Satanists over the past year, and they are extremely hurt and broken. That's the one thing they all have in common. I think every single one of those, you could say, could use a hug. A hug that says, I genuinely love you. A hug that helps someone know that they are not alone in this world. A hug that squeezes out all the anger and the frustrations that they may be feeling inside. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yet, for many, hugging a guy like this is kind of repulsive. In fact, you might feel like, well, if I hug somebody like that, especially after some of the things that he believes and that he says and stand for, you know, it may be telling him that I'm okay with what he believes. It may be telling that guy that, you know what, I'm okay with the way that you live your life. Or maybe I don't want to hug a guy like that because, you know what, I don't know what other people might think about me if I hug someone like that. And I'm mainly talking about other Christians here. Or, or maybe... Maybe you're repulsed by people like Rion, and you're angry because they would, they would be a part of something like the, the, the satanic church. But maybe people are the way they are because they are broken and they are desperately in need of the love of Christ. Jesus loved the people that we love to hate. He just did. We read these things in scriptures about these, you know, uh, you know, tax collectors and sinners. We're not crazy about tax collectors, but believe me, it was a lot worse a thing back in the day. And, and these were repulsive people. These were considered the scum of the earth. And Jesus is eating with these folks, which had a much higher meaning then as it does to us today in eating with someone. And he was criticized by the religious elite. And he would say things like this. Those who are well, they have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He offered living water to a woman who was morally bankrupt at a well. He stopped the stoning of a woman who had been caught in adultery. In this world, there are people that we enjoy spending time with, and there are those, if we're honest, that we really don't. We just don't. We don't enjoy being in their company. They make us uncomfortable. And there's always this tension that, that we have in Christianity. Because in one sense, 
yes, the people that we hang, hang with the most, they are going to influence our lives, whether good or bad. The other side, though, is that we are supposed to be ambassadors of Jesus. And so we, we rely on God's Spirit to give us strength. We pray that God will help us and guide us in the midst of all of these things. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said something that is just, just mind-blowing. He says, love your enemies. And then he goes along and he goes with this. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners, they love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. How do we separate ourselves and who we are to the world than the rest of the world? Jesus reached out to the broken. He loved the oppressed, the social outcasts, the unwanted, the hated, and even died for the ungodly. Jesus loved Rion. And Jesus loves you. In Matthew 8, a leper comes to Jesus wanting to be cleansed and healed. And, and, and leprosy was just such an awful disease back in the day. In fact, they were separated from their community. They couldn't be with their friends. They couldn't be with their family. They couldn't, be, they couldn't go to synagogue or anything of that sort. And, and if that wasn't humiliating enough, they were to wear clothes that were torn. And they were to yell out, unclean, if anyone were coming near them. According to the rabbinical teachings, you were not even allowed to greet people who had leprosy. Many of the priests would run and hide when they saw someone who was a leper. And yet on this occasion, it says that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And he heals him. Jesus didn't have to touch people to heal them. You know that, right? There's one story that Jesus heals this child and, and they are a great distance away. We, he made sure that we know, the gospel writers know, Jesus touched this man. Because this was a part of him knowing that Jesus loves that man. In our men's coffee, I know we have a saying, Dennis, what happens at men's coffee stays at men's coffee on Thursday. But, but I know Dennis had talked about someone that that he had shaken this man, to, and, and, he, and nobody wanted to touch him. And it, 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 was, it was something to have someone that just would reach out and touch them. Unfortunately, Jesus isn't walking around in the first century, is he? So we, his people, are his hands and his feet. We show people the love of Christ, just like that woman at the radio station. 
In fact, here's some more of what he said in, on his own line thing. He says, I've never known unconditional love in my entire life. Up until today, there have been four Christians in my life that showed me what unconditional love is. You think that meant something to him? Well, he went on. He says, to show someone love is everything. And it's not a simple thing. You have shown me everything, the love of Christ, and I have seen it in you. You showed me unconditional love when I was a monster, an ugly person. Don't know how many of you read your Core 52 this week. But it was on the greatest command. Probably familiar with it. Jesus being asked the question, what's the greatest command? Jesus says it's love. It's loving God with every part of our being. And loving your neighbor as yourself. And in that reading he said, Jesus' command is not that we like those who are like us. But that we serve those who surround us. When we become the tangible hands and feet of Jesus, it becomes clear where our loyalties lie. By this, we demonstrate that we love God with all we are. Who are the broken people that you know in your life? Who is that person, your kids are getting ready to go back to school. Who is that kid that sits by themselves at lunch that the other people make fun of? Who is that person at work that is socially awkward? Who is that person that, that you know, no one just seems to really care for that person? They're, they're a broken person. In fact, they're broken because they've made some terrible, terrible decisions in their life. Wrong, immoral decisions in their lives. Those whose words, actions, and appearances are offensive. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody you hug is going to turn out like Rion. Jesus, Jesus loved people everywhere he went, and they didn't all come to him. In fact, if you know, as we've seen already with the story of Rion, he says there were four Christians that he knew that gave unconditional love. That happened before the hug. And for some people, the, the, the seed of the kingdom of God, it just takes a while before it actually sprouts and grows inside of them. A week after the interview, well, let me back up for a little bit here. Let me, let me say this, that it begins by how we treat people. How we treat people that we disagree with. And our culture has shown us that the way you deal with people is that you cancel them. Or we get on social media and we bash them. Or maybe, maybe we feel like the way you deal with evil institutions is by po it's politicians. It's our political party. They're the ones that make laws that, that don't allow these kinds of sinful institutions. And yet Jesus did things differently. And when you see the way Jesus did it, you realize it's something totally different than the way we often portray it. Rion didn't suddenly become a Christian after that hug, but it definitely 
continued to soften his heart. In fact, a week afterwards, he was doing a ritual that was supposed to give him more power and influence as a Satanist. And according to him, he says, I did this ritual and I opened myself up and Jesus appeared and I was extremely cocky and said, if you are Jesus, you need to prove it. And he flooded me with the most beautiful love and energy and I recognized it immediately because that woman at the radio station showed it to me. Well, people recognize the love of Jesus by their interactions with us. Well, they know it because they've experienced it. People need the love of Christ. They need, they need a hug from Jesus. And I think every one of us in here would say the same thing. I just wish Jesus were here that I could hug him. But until Jesus returns, we are his arms. I come in here every week. There's not a week that I come in here that someone is not waiting to hug me. Gay Stanley gets offended if I don't come up and hug her. And I love that. Every week, I have people that express their love to me. This, this past week, I had a couple of people just send me some very kind texts. Uh, one that's just absolutely dripping in the love of Christ. But there's people out in our community that don't get that. And people recognize the love of Jesus in our interactions with them. They may be people that you encounter that are angry, they're immoral, they may even be anti-God. One of the parables of Jesus, it's a favorite among people, Christians, is the story of the prodigal son. Yeah? You know the story, most of you. Jesus, or he tells this story about this man. He has two sons, and one of them says, I want my inheritance now. And he gives it to him. And he moves away from the presence of his own father, of his family. And he lives this immoral, evil life. And after a while of living this kind of life, he ends up bankrupt. <laughs> it's during a time where this famine is, is, is running across the land, and he finds himself starving, humiliated, and broken. And he just thinks, if I could just go back and apologize to my father and, and beg him to let me come back as a hired servant, I would have it better than the way I have it now. And we have to put ourselves in the story, and we have to ask ourselves, what, what would we do if we were that father? Would we say, you know what? No, you know what? You've disgraced the family. You're not coming home. Or maybe you say, well, I'll tell you what, you can come back as a hired servant. You need to learn your lesson. Here's what Jesus says of this father in the story who is representative of our father in heaven. It says, and he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him 
and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. One of the great emphasis of that whole text is don't give up on people that you believe are lost. Don't give up on the people that are out here who have done the worst of things. People that we know, let's just say it, they're unworthy. And if you are that person this morning and you're struggling with it and you are that broken person, I want you to know Jesus loves you. He loves you. He can turn your life around and you can have a story, a testimony that has a power that that goes beyond your own life. And if you're that broken person and, and, and maybe you're that person that you say, I'm, I'm not a Christian, I want to know more. If you just need a hug, you can come to me. We got lots of good huggers in here. But I encourage you, if, you, if you're here and, and you haven't been here very long or you've uh, just showed up today, I don't know. Go to Growth Track. That's what it's all about. It's about getting, getting on this track. It, you learn more about our church family. You'll learn more about not just believing in Jesus, but you'll learn how to serve him. And, and if we can help you in that, please, please be a part of it. If you need to talk to someone later, I'll be around. Just come to me. But Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we are so thankful for all of your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Father, that you loved us when we were unlovable. Father, help us as your people remember where we were. Help us to see our own imperfections. Help us to remember the things that we have done that, that were displeasing to you, but you saved us. And Father, it's out of that spirit. Father, help us to rise up and to walk into our communities and people that we know and we love and people that are broken and people that, that we normally wouldn't associate ourselves with. And Father, just help us to share your love. Whether they accept that love or not, Father, let us just be people that, that bring forth this new creation to this fallen world. Help us to be your light. Help us to be your arms and your feet. I pray for those who may be in here and they're broken. 
Maybe there's someone that they don't know you. Maybe it's someone who does, but they just they just feel broken today and they, they need some encouragement. Father, help us to be encouraging to each other. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.